Our guest on the 43 today is Dr. John Deloney. Uh, he's a Dave Ramsey personality and a uh, best-selling author of the book Redefining Anxiety. He uh, honestly has kind of hit the nail on the head as far as sad clown syndrome is uh, concerned. And uh, we got to talk to him quite a bit about uh, what that looks like, uh, maybe some ways to overcome it, and, uh, and, and how through um, being connected to one another, that's, that's how we're going to make the difference. So hope you enjoy. Leadership isn't for the faint of heart. It's dirty, dangerous, difficult, and disruptive. It will test everything about who you are. Unfortunately, as a leader, you're out front, which means you usually only get about 43 feet of good road built for those following behind you while you're running the race yourself. Welcome to the 43 Feet Podcast, where each week you'll hear from some of the greatest leaders we can find both in F3 and beyond. If you're going to lead, you'll need to be ready for the difficult challenges, for what lies ahead in the unknown, for what's lurking in the next 43 feet. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the 43 Feet Podcast. Uh, my name is Frank Schwartz, Dark Helmet, uh, to all my F3 brothers. Uh, and for our guest today, we may explain all that a little bit later. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by F3's Ralph out of St. Louis. Welcome, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you guys. Uh, Matt, where did you post this morning? Uh, I did not post this morning, but that's because uh, I am taking a rest day because this weekend I am going on a 260-ish mile bike ride. And last Saturday, I did a Tough mutter. Uh, I worked out yesterday, which uh, my legs told me I really shouldn't have done that. So I'm a little curious how this ride's going to go. <laughs> I'm excited to see uh, what happens or doesn't happen. I hope you'll be live, uh, live at some point somewhere along there, or at least doing some live tweeting along the way. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, also, don't I, I don't, but if, yeah, we'll get Sheldon to do it. 60% chance of rain uh, every day. Mm. So I'm mm. uh, also looking forward to that too, because I wasn't cold enough at the Tough Mudder. Yeah, and didn't you like get your head bashed in by a log or something foolish? I did. I, uh, uh, I took a log to the forehead. Uh, and we, we, were, we were discussing before we started, you know, wearing uh, if that uh, Dr. Dooley there has got his book, you know, very subtly placed right over his uh, left shoulder in case we, uh, you know, forget what he wrote. Uh, I had the scar on my forehead. I looked like Harry Potter. And I was like, no, go ahead. Ask me about the scar. I, I don't mind. I, I, I'm not shy. Go ahead. Ask me. I'll tell you. I took a log to the forehead in the middle of a tough mutter. So some sort of cut rate, Harry Potter. Sorry. Go ahead, doc. Is, is the log. Okay. Uh, it, it, it broke into about a million pieces. Uh, so I'm actually using it as toothpicks. Now it was yeah. really quite remarkable. So Hulk smash. Uh, and we are joined today. Our guest is Dr. John Deloney. Uh, he is, uh, not according to him, but he's a very handsome, uh, well, well-spoken, well-read, um, amazing fellow who has written a book, uh, that we're going to get into here in just a little bit. Uh, and some of the things that he wrote, because I think they are super relevant to, uh, F3 and some of the challenges and things that we face as men, uh, in our world. Uh, so welcome, John. Welcome. What's up, guys? How are you guys? Excellent. Like top shelf. I, I got to ask, is Dark Helmet, tell me that's a Spaceballs reference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so every every guy who comes out to an F3 workout and you there in Nashville will be able to attend uh, any one of your choice. We'll send you a link. Uh, it's free. You can just show up. It's pretty rocking. Uh, and it is where uh, men get together, and we call it grown man recess a lot. 
because you get to get out there and act like just idiots for an hour uh, every morning. Uh, but every every man who shows up to an F3 workout receives an idiot nickname. Uh, it usually has something to do with either his his name or his profession. Uh, although I, I'm not huge on the profession ones simply because, uh, you know, what if a guy changes his, his uh, profession, then, you know, what happens then? Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of guys are into that sort of thing. So they'll call you, uh, just, you know, other dumb, stupid things. Uh, and so anyway, it's based on all that kind of stuff. And so my last name is Schwartz. And so that it was a pretty short walk to get to, uh, to dark helmet. So you don't have a lot of people with the, um, the, the cinematic sophistication to remember may the Schwartz be with you. And so like, it hasn't been a super great day and we could stop right now and the universe and, I <laughs> and, and you'd be good. <laughs> man, good. I think, I think two thirds of my childhood was exclusively space balls and stand by me quotes. That's just how we oh interacted with everybody. That, That's it. That, yeah. is that is exactly what those are my two as well. That I was going to say the two movies I've seen the most are, Spaceballs and Stand by Me, probably five thousand times each. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that tracks because he's he's given me that uh, that story before, and so I believe him. Uh, Ralph's nickname is because he puked. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, in the in the middle of a high school tennis match while the ball was in play. So, <laughs> and not just once either. Apparently, it was spectacular. Yeah, it was three just heaping uh, massive amounts of vomit. <laughs> And then I stood up and said, all right, guys, I'm done. And walked off the court. Oh, so, what a, you should have been quitter. You should yeah. be quitter. And, you know, it, they ask, <laughs> a, a lot of times when they're, when they're naming you, they'll ask you your life's most embarrassing story. I would recommend you just don't answer that question. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Deloney gets it. See, your name should have been quitter. I like that. That's solid. Dude, my, yeah, my last name rhymes with the lunch meat, man. It was a rough childhood. Yeah. <laughs> it, it got out of the gate bad. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and you were telling us right before we kind of hit record and got going here, uh, John hosts a, a podcast uh, that is uh, quite popular, and, and um, apparently the, the day that it debuted, and it was a big deal, and it debuted at number one, and it was, I mean, just this awesome experience, and then he has this lifelong friend, as many of us uh, would in F3, uh, who had the, the I guess, the, the love enough to send him a, uh, a text that said, Deloney, your podcast sucks. <laughs> That's it. That and you know what? Right. That's how I knew it, we were onto something. Yeah. Because if it had, if it was really bad, he wouldn't have said anything. He just would have. Right. Or, or he would have like, been like, oh, "Hey, I'll good for you. you." Like work. Yeah. Hey, high five, man. Um, <laughs> but no, the fact that he reached out and said it was terrible, that let me know. Hey. That's right. You're like, ah, nailed it, nailed it. Well, John. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of jump in here and say, get, can you just give us kind of a, a high level your background and how you ended up here and. Um, why in the world you decided to uh, write a book and, uh, and kind of that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think the high level is I grew up in Houston. My old man was, my dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator. And then halfway through my life, he quit that literally like over a weekend and started working as a youth minister. He always volunteered to help teens out of trouble. Um, and who were working through challenges and working with families behind closed doors. And he quit over a weekend and became the youth minister. Before that was an actual profession. They were still making it up on the fly back then and worked with a church for 20 something years. And now he's back um, in his elder years. He's a criminal justice professor at a university there in Texas. But, and then at the same time, my mom was told as um, a child and into her late teens, uh, Christian women have no business going to college. 
you don't need to be educated. You're, you've got a role to play in society, and that's that. And then at age 42, right about when my dad it, it was transitioning into like taking a big left turn, she took her first community college course. And then she took another one, and then another one. And you fast forward at age 57, she graduates with her PhD at age 70. She's the department chair of an English department at, a, at some fancy university there in Texas. And so I grew up in this ecosystem, if you will, which was um, follow your nose at all times. When things are on fire, that's when you go in. Nobody can tell you what you can and can't do. And you're never too late to do something silly, right? To try something different. And I, of course, as, as a young kid, you don't get any of those lessons in real time. It's just dad was a cop and now he does this. And so um, fast forward, I, I was working at colleges and universities as a high school teacher for a few years, but most of my career has been working as a Dean of Students, uh, senior student affairs guy at colleges and universities, which means a lot of my time is spent in hospitals, working with parents behind closed doors, helping kids in mental health crisis and challenges. And on the route to become some fancy pants, um, really make man, I'm going to be a college president, make a billion dollars. It's going to be about me, me, me. I fell apart. And then my body started saying, Hey, we're, I'm out. Your head can keep going where it wants to. I'm out. And so in, as part of my recovery, if you will, not as from addiction, but my own anxiety journey, my own depression journey, my own figuring out what in the world's happening to me. Um, I went back to school just because how I'm wired. I want to know why things are happening. And I got a second PhD in counseling and then really begin working with people behind closed doors um, to say, hey, how can you be okay? And um, I moved to Nashville here to work at a, at a really remarkable university. And then I ran into my boss's people. And the thing I always, I, I always swore I would never be on the internet. I never did interviews. I didn't do T. I just didn't want anything like that, right? Um, and then this was the scariest possible thing. And the, uh, the words that they gave me were, you help thousands at your job right now at a university, which is cool. Um, if you want to come help millions, come join the squad. And that, that sold me. Wow. So here we are. We haven't actually said where you are, though. So you're a, a Dave Ramsey personality now. What, what, does that, what does that actually mean? I don't know. If you could figure <laughs> that out, that would be awesome. <laughs> we could make something up. <laughs> so Dave made his, obviously made his career um, – helping people get out of debt and the, the, on the ground, he's known as the guy to help you get out of debt. Larger picture. He's been having conversations with America for 25 years about intentionality, about a, how, how to have hard conversations, how to rattle cages, you know um, how to get your marriage back. So it's, it's a broader, he's now looked at as a voice of wisdom. Right. And so I joined as their quote unquote mental health guy. And so where Dave may yell sometimes and say, we need to do this. My nature is, oh, what if, what if we did this? It's more of a quieter, let's hug it out kind of guy. And so we've been a great, um, it's been a, he's been a great team and he, he's just behind closed doors. One of the most generous people I've ever been blessed to, to know. And um, here's one thing I left off as part of me getting well um, and focusing on talking less and trying to quote unquote, learn more info. I joined um, a crisis team. And what that meant was I started working with police officers and doing death notifications and sitting with families and moms and widows and kids when the wheels have fallen off their life. The worst things you could imagine, cleaning mm. up really violent scenes, 
um, just really inserting yourself in the part of our communities and neighborhoods and suburbs and cities that most of us have no ideas going on at 1 a.m. or 3.45 in the morning. And that was one of the more healing, remarkable, honorable seasons of my life. Several yeah. years just really seeing the underbelly of how the world works and really seeing, man, there's a common thread between all of us. Wow. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for your organization. Uh, my wife and I uh, are, are Ramseyites, uh, debt-free, thank you very much, uh, except for our house. Um, and uh, that's been that way for a little while. I know. <laughs> it's amazing how much less you can get by on if you don't have debt. Um, and uh, I would say, and then, uh, and then the other part of that is, is uh, my education was in psychology, did uh, graduate work in psychology. And then uh, when I graduated, I worked in emergency mental health for uh, about uh, nine months. And then realized that's about how that's the average stay, right? I was going to say, and then I was like, oh gosh, uh, I really enjoy this is a lot of fun, uh, but I'm going to burn out on this uh, pretty quick. Uh, I have a funny feeling. So I went and did some other things, but um, that's, that is, uh, that's, that's quite the, the leap, I guess, to, you know, kind of from A to B, but that is, that's hard work uh, that you were involved in. Yeah, it's a, it's a wild time. So here's a, as a, to answer your question about Ramsey personality, um, man, it's, it's a lot of writing and uh, it's a daily radio show. It's joining Dave on his radio show. It's um, we'll go to Dallas. We have an event this weekend with um, Jocko and, and Mark, there's you know, several big fancy pants people helping business leaders. And so it's really getting the message out there on how to be intentional about how you live your life, how to be intentional in your relationships. And man, really at the end of the day, how to be well, how to look in the mirror and like what you actually see. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll jump right in with some questions from the book. Uh, I, I think my, my favorite sentence in the whole thing is loneliness is the chief enemy of our modern world. Hmm. Uh, and in uh, F3, uh, you know, frankly, loneliness uh, is what draws a lot of men. If they're not drawn uh, to get in shape, they're drawn because they don't have any friends or they have few friends and they see uh, because we promote ourselves this way, uh, the workouts as a way to uh, have fellowship with other men. Uh, you know, the modern is one of the key words in that sense. What, what, what is your diagnosis? Why is loneliness, uh, speaking of men specifically, why is it such an epidemic? Man, if, if I was, it's a hundred different, it's a hundred different things. I, if to get at the root, I'd probably have to go back and say this, this myth of the, the lone ranger, right? This, this, I grew up in Texas, right? It's this, you can do it by yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and head West. And that's just baked into the um, life, liberty and pursuit of happiness became you are your own planetary system and you make it work for your family. And if you can see off in the distance, somebody else's smokestack from their chimney, they're too close, right? Keep moving West. And then all, and then the last 150 years, 200 years, suddenly, we just have had this loss of what I would call maybe even last 75 years, a loss of institutional trust just in man, We've seen it this last year. This last year has been a great magnifying glass on man. You talk to one medical expert and they would tell you guys, this COVID thing is not real. It's, it's nothing. And then you talk to somebody that went to the same med school and they'll look you in the eye with tears and they'll say, this is it. We're all going to die. Right. And you yeah. talk to one economic expert says this. And one that says that we all walked through our lives thinking our government's a mess. We all know that, but they got us right. They got this, whatever this happens to be. 
and then our churches and our education systems, right? And our the news, <laughs> we just thought we'd turn the news on, right? And they'll tell us pretty much what's going on. And so we've got this loss of institutional trust. And then at the same time, we've got this, It's and it's been coming for about 30 years. It, it feels really heavy now, but it's been coming for a minute. And um, I've, we, that's a whole other podcast on where that actually started. <laughs> but we've got no more paths for redemption. If you say mm. the wrong thing once, you're done. It's over. Yeah. When we, yeah, when you do the if three strikes, brother, and you're out, we're going to take you from your family. You're going to go to jail, and you are never coming out again. Well, if you even get three strikes. That's yeah. right. That's right. So we have slowly distilled our world down into a one strike, and you're done. And yeah. what do you? What's the natural thing to do? Isolate yourself, man. You're the you're the last bastion of hope you have for yourself, right? And so then we outsource our lives to these little digital boxes that are happy to tell us what we already think and to surround us by people who think and are angry just like we are, and we all hate the same people together. And man, <laughs> that is a recipe for we are all our own islands. And then when somebody needs us to come together, like I don't know, like a pandemic hits, uh, uh-uh, it's every man for himself, and that's where we find oh, yeah. ourselves. Yeah, we're watching them beat each other over the head to get gasoline here on this coast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the news is saying, hey, it'll be back up in, in a few days. Yeah, the trucks are running now. Like, it was two days worth of, like, the trucks didn't run. There was no need to have anything happen. Yeah, and there's just this utter lack of leadership. There's an utter lack of communal character. And really, if you step back and look at brain science, when you're – 10,000 years ago, if you woke up on the plains of whatever savanna you were on and your tribe had moved on without you, you're probably going to die. And your yeah. brain had some built-in alarm systems to get, man, you do whatever you got to do to, um, it is, it is life or death now and you've got to go connect. And so we've got an ecosystem where it says disconnect at every possible stage yeah. And our brains have, are there in fight or flight. And so suddenly one little, Hey, the gas is going to go up. Well, then I've got to I got to beat you up over that, right? It's it's what we're watching is brain science in 3D. We're just watching, <laughs> right? right? I saw an article this we're morning. Settling. Yeah, no, I was I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, say I saw an article this morning that uh, that said America has lost its chill. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and, hey, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I was <laughs> I was talking to someone just a little while ago about ten. I'm I'm an obsessive kind of a Looney Tune fight fight fan. And I ran into um, Chuck Liddell years ago in Vegas. He couldn't walk through a, a, you know, a place now because he's too famous. But back then he wasn't. It's just a hardcore group of nerdy fight fans, which is what I was. Yes. And I'll never forget. It was eerie because it was like being with Yoda. He was so calm and so chill and had such a kind presence about him. And it, it was so not what I was expecting of a dude with a mohawk and tattoos on his head, right. nerving. And then it hit me on the airplane ride home. It was like two days. I was like, what is that guy's deal? That was weird. I just wanted to like hang out with him. And I realized, oh man, he can beat up everyone on earth. Literally anyone he meets. <laughs> all of earth. He's got nothing to prove to anyone. And then all of a sudden he was able to, to tether into this, to anchor into the bedrock of earth and say, man, I can just be a person of joy and peace because I can. And I think America for the last hundred years has walked around strutting our, cell, our shoulders like that, right? Like we're crazy, but when it all goes down, we're good. And now we've lost our, we're a little bit like, I don't know if we're good anymore, man. Yeah. 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 
uh, Ralph, you have a follow-up. Go ahead. Yeah. What's so? What's the what's the solution to loneliness? How do we solve that problem? Oh man, it's a it's multifaceted. It's one of the. It's like, uh, hey, how do you lose weight? Diet and exercise. All right, have a great day. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> it's uh, really simple solutions that are really yeah. hard to do. Right. Uh, how do you avoid loneliness? Uh, hang out with guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Be vulnerable, be willing to get hurt and (laughs) go against everything you've been taught your whole life as a, as a man. Right. Um, I think it starts with men by having the, the courage, um, the it's, it's a courage that most men will never know the courage to look in the mirror and say, I'm lonely to say that word out loud. And I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you're surrounded by people that love you. I don't care if you are surrounded by a bunch of dudes at a happy hour after work, that's not, not lonely. Lonely means that you've got somebody that gets what a loser you are, that gets your inside jokes and loves you anyway. It's somebody that, um, you know, we got what, two, like, uh, you know, 2000 friends on Instagram, but you got nobody to come over your house and help you fix the staircase, right? You got nobody. And so it starts with um, looking in the mirror and probably similar to your program. At some point you got to look in the mirror and say, I don't like what I see. I don't like the body that I've got now and I need to do some work. It's very similar, but it's hard. And then the second thing is you just said it, you got to reach out and start working towards making friends. And unfortunately after college, man, that we just don't have any uniform experiences that we all go through together that help bond and make friendship, which is why your program, I've never heard of it until just now. And it's, it's extraordinary. It gives men cover it gives them a shield to get around other men and to laugh and tell jokes and to say hey that joke's not funny and to say i'm sorry and uh struggle and fall or your podcast sucks, sucks or yeah your podcast sucks yeah, and people laugh at you and help you back up but you got to go out and be around other people which means you got to risk and yeah. we we talk a big game us men but we are not good at risk we're not we'll buy bitcoin all day which is just nonsense but we will not be around- that's not risk that's <laughs> That's made up stuff. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, and so in our our parlance, and this is uh, this is you know this movement that we're a part of was started uh, just a little over ten years ago by a couple of guys. One guy named Dave Redding, another named Tim, Tim Whitmire, and uh, and they it was an unintentional thing. They just thought they were gonna um, you know work out and have a, a good time working out. That's what they thought was gonna happen. Uh, and then it sort of blossomed into this other thing, but. Uh, what you what you just described uh, is what we refer to as sad clown syndrome, um, where and and that's a you know a, a nod to the Sopranos if you've ever uh, watched that. But um, but it's uh, it's this idea that you know we all look happy on the outside, but inside we're dying. You know we've got to hide it all underneath because we can't be the vulnerable guy. We can't be the guy who who didn't do it. And, and the reason I think the workout is so attractive and it works is because your, your physical body, what you see in the mirror is a, is a tangible indicator of (laughs) how, how lousy, you know, it may or may not have become. Right. It was easy. I, I think I remember it very clearly for myself when I sat in my car one day and I put my arm on my stomach <laughs> yeah, and I was so like, the big whoops, <laughs> this seems like a problem, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, there, yeah. and there's something about living in a dorm, right. Or living in barracks or going through, you know, the police Academy. Um, like I see you without your shirt on. I see you when she dumped you. I've seen you, you know, when you've had too much to drink, I've seen you when you failed the test, you can't hide. And right. 
we don't know that at the time, but you cannot connect with another person unless you're vulnerable with them. Unless you can say the words, Hey, this hurts. Hey, I'm scared about this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. And man, when you can say that, then somebody else can plug into you. And that's it, man. And our wives, dude, our wives are dying on the vine next to us. They're living parallel lives or sleeping in bed with us, but they're not connected to us. Um, our kids, the same, are getting full, lots of our instructions and our info, but they're not getting us because we're not getting us, man. And it's in, it's endemic. Wow. Yeah. I want to... Uh, like the, I, thought, I, I thought I would start the podcast with a lot of laughs. <laughs> right. Then, right? <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I hate to say we're out of time. So uh, best of luck, everybody. You're going to die. <laughs> But no, I was going to say, I want to, I, I want to connect it. Um, we'll, we'll do it off, off air, but uh, we'll send you a, a book um, and see if it, uh, it, uh, I don't have my picture on the cover or anything, but. Um, hey, I didn't want, I didn't want that on mine either, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you say that, but I mean, uh, you're a good looking guy, but it, it really, a lot of it is just, you know, when you're a personality and, and I think that's part of the, the, the shtick, right? I mean, you got to put your face out there or whatever, but, um, but no, so many of the things that you're saying are so in line with, with what's now. I mean, and, and we're not unique, uh, in the sense that we're not, it's not like we're the only ones that have discovered that this is a problem and we're trying to figure out how to solve it. Right. I mean, there's myriad, uh, places that are looking at the same problem and trying to figure out how do we, how do we do this? How do we build community? How do we get guys near each other? How do we, you know, make it better for us? Because for whatever reason, again, like you said, uh, you know, we've, we've, purchased the lie uh that we're alone and that we're supposed to be or even if we're not supposed to be that's just it or my only value is more is achievement mm. accomplishment i am literally worth nothing if i ever don't get the next thing right yeah, yeah. there's never a moment i can look at my account and exhale and go I'm good. I can go back to being a high school basketball coach. Cause that was my favorite job. I got $10 million in the bank and a paid for house. Not, not, I don't, I wish I did. I got $10 million in the bank and a paid for house. I'm going to let this ride and go spend some time with my children and get a yeah. local job making $52,000 a year. We, that is everyone around you would be like, Hey, he's that guy fell apart. He's a failure. He's a, he lost it. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't hang. And so we don't have a psychology for anything other than go get some more and go get some more and go get some more until you're dead. Was that, and, and I know Ralph's got something. Go ahead, Ralph. No, go ahead. Uh, well, oh. I was spinning it towards uh, the book and anxiety and how this all feeds that. Uh, you make the point in, in the book that anxiety is not really the problem. Anxiety is uh, the alarm clock or the, the, the alarm. Uh, yeah. ex explain that to us. Well, so we try to live these disconnected lives based on accomplishment and achievement and go get it. And you're the only one you're, you're on your own Island and our bodies aren't designed to run that way. Right. So it's like putting sand and water and rubbing alcohol in your gas tank. Your car's not going to drive great. And instead of looking at the fuel we're putting into this thing, we just beat the car up. Right. And so similarly, our body's got some built in alarm systems that let us know things aren't good. Right. Like kind of like you mentioned, you're, you'll find your, your forearm resting on your belly. That's an indicator you haven't been eating right. You know what I mean? Um, anxiety is not the problem. Here's, here's the analogy, dude. It's like your house is on fire and your fire alarm goes off in your kitchen and you in some 
I don't know, associate involvement pastor. I don't know. There's like 8,000 pastors at every church now. And like, cause we it literally look at that. Look what churches have done, by the way, there's a whole other podcast. We've professionalized human interaction. We've uh. made it a job. We're going to pay you to go talk to other people. That's insane. Yeah. We just, we've outsourced our, our responsibility. You sign up to be a greeter at a church where people, what? that's madness, right? But that's just what we do. I'm a greeter, man. A what? How is that a role? We should all be <laughs> saying right. hi to one another, right? But anyway, yeah. um, you and some like wacko associate something or other pastor and a therapist are up on a ladder in your kitchen trying to get the batteries out of the smoke detector while your house is burning down. That's what we've done with anxiety. That's what we've done with depression. That's what we've done with ADHD. All these things are signals that the, the world we have created for ourselves isn't good. And we're blaming the signals, right? We're blaming yeah. the signals for our problems. So all anxiety is, man, it's an alarm system that says you're in a situation that's not safe. You're in a situation that you have no control over what's coming next and or you're disconnected. You've got broken relationships. You are out there completely untethered. You're in the savannah alone. That's all anxiety is, man. And we have over-dramatized it and made it this wild thing that you got to go fix and heal. And Dude, you got to get some friends, right? You've got to be in a situation where you're safe. Um, it's a, it's a, we're not looking at the whole picture, man. No, you're right. And uh, we, we, we talk a lot in F3 about becoming emotionally durable. Um, and part of the way that we do that is through something that we have termed the CSOP, um, which is uh, an acronym which stands for completely stupid and utterly pointless. And we gather ourselves together. And in fact, uh, I would classify, as we talked a little earlier, I can't remember if it was while we were recording or not. No, I guess it was. It was, uh, we were talking about Ralph, uh, you know, taking a 250-mile bike ride with some buddies you know, and then last weekend he was in a tough mutter, you know, this weekend I'm running a 10 K, but that's not really enough. So I've got to carry some heavy things while I do it, you know, and all of us idiots, you know, are together doing this and, and that shared suffering, you know, brings that bondage, that bondage, uh, that, uh, that bond, yeah, that, that, not uh, that kind of workout. I know. I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, well, there went the Christian audience. Seen some tough mutters and those are different. Y'all's are different in, in St. Louis. Yeah. 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 It takes a different kind of dude, doesn't it? Uh, it's not. It's not sane. There's nothing rational. Well, especially the the bondage tough mutter. Those are I have never seen one of those. That is extremely dangerous. <laughs> yeah. The safe word is more. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my um, my, ex my anxiety meter is being pegged. By <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Back on track, John. You you said uh, you know one of the things you said a minute ago about about the chase and chasing to get. To, to achieve or to accumulate or whatever those things might be. And so it's funny, obviously, uh, connected to the fact that, you know, as a Dave Ramsey personality, one of the things that, that you know, Dave preaches and teaches and, and, and everyone I'm, I'm assuming uh, in the organization does as well is, you know, we get out of debt so that we are out of uh, that, that prison, that bondage, if you will. Uh, and we, we do these things so that we, we have that safety and we have that margin and all that kind of stuff. But you, you know, so we're, we're chasing and accumulating and, and so on and so on. And then you said, you know, we realize that that's an empty, uh, an empty chase. And it made me think, you know, so my personal story is, is a little along those lines. I was chasing, 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 
and realized somewhere along the way, it didn't matter how much money I had, I was always going to chase. And it wasn't because of some sort of divine discontent. It was because of a giant hole, you know, inside. Was that part of your, because you mentioned you had kind of a, you know, a, a downturn. Was that, was that sort of part of your story as well? Yeah. And, and mine was equal parts chasing and equal parts physiology, right? Because to uh. be a good chaser, you don't sleep. And to be a good chaser, you take medicine to go to sleep and you take chemicals to wake up in the morning, right? And you live by, if you're not growing, you're dying. And what growing means is not resting. Um, growing means another class and another degree and another leadership assignment, another department to manage. And so, yeah, that was a big part of it. I think at the root of it, beside, there's, there's two roots. One is, yeah, that complete inability to look in the mirror and be happy with what we see. We are convinced that we have no value. And the second part of that is it's this nefarious, ugly idea that we have turned the question, what are you worth into a number? And we ask people, Hey, what are you worth, man? That's a number. We've distilled that down into a number. That's insane. Right. And listen, I've sat with single moms I've sat with multi multi-millionaires. I've sat with um, elite military folks. I've sat with fill in the blank. You know what? Very, very, very few people can answer the question. They cannot answer this one question. What do you want? They don't have an answer to that question. What do you want, man? And if you don't start with that question, the world is happy to keep feeding you things to keep the treadmill running, Right a shinier thing, a new Apple, a new iPhone, a new this. Oh, look, Tesla's got a car. Look, my wife can, the world, if you don't have a thing you're going towards, man, you're just going to keep running until you just fall over dead. Hey, I read this remarkable book recently. Uh, It's called Lonely at the Top. I've been studying loneliness for a decade now, and I've never run across this book. It's phenomenal by Thomas Joyner. He he points out something that's so great. He says in 100% of the cultures on earth, 100%. Men make all the, have all the power. They have the vast majority of resources. They make all the leadership decisions. They run things. And they have cornered the market on strokes and cancer and heart disease. And it's, it's, it was this moment I sat back and it was just almost this golf clap. Like, congratulations, everybody. We did it. Nailed it. <laughs> Got a lot of stuff. And we're all dying for it. And yeah. it's, somebody's <laughs> just got to stop. We just have to stop. We got to stop. What are we doing? <laughs> Not only am I going to accumulate possessions, I'm going to accumulate plaque in my arteries, and I'm going to beat you to the end, buddy. You are going down. I will die before you. And if, <laughs> hey, listen, if you talk to a really wealthy 60-year-old, a really wealthy 65-year-old, there's a sense of resignation to that. There's a sense of, yeah, any day. And they, dude, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to ride out like that. Yeah, no. I don't. I want to. I want my to still be telling jokes and throwing water balloons. My kids and I had this crazy food fight in the kitchen the other day, and I, I want to be that at seventy-five, right? I want to be able to get on the ground. That's why I work out so hard now, so that when I'm eighty-five, I can wrestle with my grandkids, right? Oh, yeah. I'm playing a forty-year game now, and I, I just don't want to be resigned at sixty. I just don't. John, you have to come to a workout. I'm. I'm not really offering it as an option or like a suggestion, like. <laughs> You know, it's funny, and, and Ralph, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn turn to you because I know you got a couple things, but uh, 
this is a kind of a side note. I we say a lot of times every man needs F three, but I often say every every F three needs every man, and there are guys who are hard chargers who could teach us a lot of things. Uh, so you don't have a choice anymore. You have to come to a workout. Ralph, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say. So I the the, the, the Doctor Delaney and I met uh, about a month or so ago. I was in Nashville uh, on assignment for Success Magazine, and I interviewed him about. Uh, legacy. And after about 10 minutes of the interview, I thought I need to get this guy to an F3 workout. Now that would be pretty inappropriate to start EH and EH is our term for emotionally headlocking him. Uh, it would have been unprofessional to do that in the middle of an interview. Uh, but now that it's our F3 podcast, we need to get you to an interview. And uh, Dark Helmet and I were discussing uh, that a lot of times we sort of target our friends who we think, and this is going to sound arrogant and maybe even a little self-righteous, who we think need uh, F3, uh, as if we, it makes it sound like we're pitying them. Like they, they need this thing that we have, but I mean that in a sincere, genuine way that F3 has been so good for me mm. personally that I want to be like, you love them. Yeah. It sounds like now you don't pity yes. them, but you love them. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Do. Okay. Yeah. And the reason I, I bring that all up is, uh, you are not, it doesn't appear to me to be the, the sad clown that we would normally target, but, <laughs> no. uh, we could, we could still get you out there and, and, you know, get you bleeding and, and miserable, maybe hit you in the head with a, a two by four. Or a, a We're not going to hit you in the head with a log. That's your own personal doing Ralph. Hey, I, uh, I, I trained with an MMA team for years. And so, yeah, I, I love getting dirty and, and yeah. a little bit bloody if you need to, it's good for you, man. It is. Also, yeah. Hey, I, I've got as much sad clown as the next guy, right? Um, I've learned to be completely alone in a crowded room and I've yeah. learned to, Make fun of myself first so that nobody else can. It's all defense mechanism, right? Yeah, sure. um, it's it, it was it was cool when they called and said, "Hey, your book made the bestseller list." Um, I was standing out in a field in Texas on a hunting ranch with my in-laws, and I didn't tell anybody because I had a little freakout moment, and it, it it changes nothing. And then within 24 hours, I was back to being a loser again. So I'm a I'm a sad clown just like everybody, man. <laughs> No, it's like uh, it's like being an addict, right? You're only ever recovering. Yeah, go ahead, Ralph. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, we're we're talking about the chase. Uh, I was a sports writer for a long time, and I was uh, I stopped being surprised after a while when you would interview uh, some athlete who had who had reached the pinnacle and found that it really wasn't uh, all that fulfilling. That they, uh, you know, you look at like Tom Brady, for example. Uh, he's got six Super Bowls or whatever it is, and he does not seem fulfilled. He does not seem happy about it uh, at all. And I'm curious, uh, even though as your, your childhood friend said, your podcast sucks and your book sucks, but they were both, uh, you know, the podcast is number one and the, the bestseller is number one, or the book is a, a bestseller and you're working for Ramsey, who is, I mean, that's his, that's an elite job and an elite thing. Uh, do you feel like you've arrived or are you still chasing? The greatest gift for me was of falling apart. And when I say falling apart, one day I was walking to work. I'd, I was so tripped out. This is about 2012 or 13. Um, I'd sold my house. I had a two-year-old little boy and my wife. I sold our house. We sold our house. You sold your wife? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it was at my prodding, and we moved into a residence hall. One of my responsibilities at this university was I ran housing, and I moved us into a dorm. I, I thought I had timed the end of the world. Turns out I was nuts. I wasn't right. Um, I, I looked like a beautiful mind if you had sat there and talked with me. It was just like, and this, and this, and this. And I was over so many people in so many departments at this point. I could not go to work for a week and nobody would know. 
And if I just answered my cell phone, people, because I had people that took care of the things of other, right? It was just, there's spread out. And I was walking to work on campus and I just turned around and I got in my little Corolla, my wife's little Corolla, which for me, I'm a big guy. It's like a Fred Flintstone car. And I drove three hours to another city and I walked into an office, no appointment, nothing into a buddy that happened to be a medical doctor. And I said, Hey, I'm not okay. I need some help. And that started the journey back. And here's the thing. When you sit in the middle of the night, holding a mother whose child is dead in the next room over like 10 yards this way, man, there's nothing to say. It doesn't matter what your position is, doesn't matter how much money you have. And so here's my great blessing in the last five or 10 years is to completely unhook, unhitch my identity from my Hmm. professional job. And so if Dave comes in today and fires me, that'd suck, right? It's a great job. I get to go meet the president um, and Jocko next week. That'll be awesome. I get to, you know, do some cool stuff. Dave pays really well, so that would suck. But then we would figure out what's next, right? Because um, I have worked really hard to unhook from work from identity, right? My identities Mm -hmm. are my kids. My identity is in my wife. My identity is being a really good community member wherever I live, being a good neighbor and being a good friend. And then the job stuff, the assignments that the world throws at you, those are just fun, man. I loved working at Burger King. I loved being a high school coach. This job is like living in a cartoon. It's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's awesome, right? And you get to help a lot, a lot of people. Um, but also, if you say the wrong thing, you're, one day your job's, you're, you're done. It's over, right? So it comes with yeah. a lot of pressure, too. And so you can't, you can't live in that as an identity. This is an awesome, incredible blessing. And you try to help as many people along the way. So I I had a question. I I read that anecdote about driving three hours to the, to the doctor's office. And I had a a question about that. I I found that interesting. And I wondered if you drove that far, because if you went to a local doctor, someone might recognize you, or was it because you were targeting that particular friend and you knew you could walk into his office and say, I'm screwed up. No, I, in fact, he's become a great friend since then. Um, he, I would consider him a buddy back then. He was, I mean, we had some good conversations, but he's not someone I ever hung out with. We never went to each other's houses. Our kids didn't play together, that kind of thing. Um, during that time, I was part of a think tank um, that was working with folks like from Pearson and Apple and Google when they, like, they were relatively just getting going. And the president of the college I worked for asked us to, a, a small team of us to, see look over the edge and see what was coming in the next five years 10 years 15 years and man yeah i I, that's i I had a ringside seat back in 2012 like oh gosh these phones are listening to us and they're tracking everything and they're scanning our emails that was now we all just know that's happening back in 2012 it felt really like so i again i was out of my mind i didn't want to have conversations in public i made my friends turn their phones off and put them in the car when we were gonna have hey guys listen i had one like a spiritual mentor of mine said hey just so you know nobody cares what you do or say like you're not that important and that was an important moment for like nobody cares dude <laughs> right. um but yeah i was just out i was out of my mind um i hadn't slept in years i was burning it at both ends. I was had isolated myself, had no friends, all that just going and going and going. Um, so no, he happened to be a guy just that I knew and I knew he would be there. He's a trustworthy man of character. And um, we've since become really great friends since then. But no, me leaving town was more related to my psychosis than it was uh, 
Okay. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask and say like, was it more just like I got in the car and started driving, and then somewhere along the way I was like, you know what I ought to do? <laughs> no, I knew I needed to go talk to somebody, and I knew I would yeah. never trust anybody in my city to do that. Yeah, yeah. Now, how, how do you balance uh, the the tension of being canceled? Uh, you've mentioned that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. With I wouldn't say you're a, a, a flamethrower, but you say some direct things that might make people mad. You tell people they should take responsibility for their own actions. Yeah. Uh, stop eating like crap. Stop laying around. Treat your body well. Uh, wh- where's the line between, uh, you're also an, obviously an empathetic person too. Wh- where's the line between empathy and truth telling and also not getting yourself fired for saying something stupid? Um, w- one, I think there's compassion leads for me. And so yeah. when I worked in colleges and universities, when I would go speak to different groups of people, especially marginalized groups, I had really close friends that I would call and say, hey, how, not to be politically correct, but to be hospitable. What's the right way I can say this? What's a way that I can most honor this community? Right. And so I don't get into the political nonsense. I just don't do that stuff, man. I don't have time for that. I've got time to make sure people feel welcomed in my presence. I want people to leave a conversation with me a little more peaceful than when they got there. And so I lead with compassion first. And then I also, as part of being compassionate, I'm going to tell the truth. And I think we've entered an era where people weaponize the truth, right? I've met with people whose husbands came in and said, Hey, you're too fat. I'm going to leave you if you don't lose some weight. And if you talk to him, he, he'll say, like, oh, I'm just being honest, bro. I can only be me. I'm being radically honest. Dude. I'm just telling the truth. No, dude, you're a jerk, man. You're an absolute idiot. An idiot. And I hope she leaves you first. Now, does that in any way change the fact that she needs to work on her health? No. But she probably or maybe or could have a trauma history if you're living with that idiot then man i'd be going to i would yeah, if you didn't have a trauma history she does now so exactly so there's, yeah, there's a host too there's a, line, a lineage of compassion there and she may be beautiful and she may love the way she looks and needs somebody to love her the way she, so it's it's really honestly if you worry about making somebody sad and upset, man, they've got their experiences, their trauma history, their agendas, and you can't live in that world or you'll go mad, right? Um, you end up just being the woke group and the woke's going to eat the woke. That's just how that's going to happen. That will get it spin tighter and tighter and tighter. The temptation is to go to war. I, I have the same compassion for them too. Right. Because I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to make a safe place so people can go to school, trying to make a safe place so people can um, go to the grocery store for crying out loud. I honor and love that, too. Let's let's do that in an integrous way, in a compassionate way for everybody. Right. So so that's that's the way I'm approaching it. And I'm also have this benefit. Dude, this is all new for me. Like I, <laughs> I didn't aspire to be a radio host. And so if this goes away, oh, again, that'd suck. I love it. It's a great, great life. Um, but it, it, I haven't been working for 42 years to get to this one moment and I'm going to do whatever it takes to hang on to it, which really frees me to be more compassionate on one end, more honest on the other. And which then I think allows me to do my job better, which then res- more people resonate with it. Right. No, it's funny. And then you just said, you know, kind of the, I didn't, I didn't do all that to, to arrive here at this exact moment to do these things. And, and because you've unhitched yourself from the fact that your identity belongs somewhere else, you, you, it gives you the freedom to be missional. 
Like you're on a mission. It has nothing to do with the work that you're doing or where you are or what part of the country you live in or where you live, you know, or what kind of house you live in, you know what I mean? Or any of that kind of stuff. It has, it has nothing to do with any of that. Yeah. And I, and he, if, if I was to distill my mission down into one thing, it's this. I think we all have the message now. Things are a mess, right? Yeah. Let's take men, for example. There's only so long you can be told you screwed up everything and ruined everything and everything's your fault. <laughs> okay, okay, great. I hear you. Yeah. But I don't have a picture of what that looks like to go be next. There is no example there. And there's only so long I can just keep calling my 11-year-old son in the house and yelling at him and saying, you screwed this up. And he's like, dad, what? will you show me how to empty the dishwasher the right way? And then I just go, I can't believe you don't know how to empty the dishwasher, you stupid moron kid. At some point, he quits coming in the house, right? And so my mission here is to paint a picture of what, live a picture of what compassion looks like in the real world, right? I think when people call my show, they have their opinions on, you know, my cousin's transgender, my buddy's just left his wife for his secretary. They've got their opinions. They need my advice less, less than they need to know how do you say hello to that person? Because I don't know what that looks like. I've never seen somebody do anything other than yell. And what does that yeah. look like, right? And so that's what I'm trying to model. That's the mission, man. How can you model yeah. compassion and truth-telling at the same time? We have a, a, a phrase that we say a lot um, that, uh, that Dave Redding, Dredd uh, is, is his F3 name. Uh, he says, uh, you know, it's a strange kind of love that'll leave a man in a lie. Yeah. And so it, it, to your point, it, it starts with that love, starts with compassion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ralph, go ahead. Yeah, well, he, there was a story in the book that I think illustrates the point uh, that you were just making. Uh, her name her name is Sarah, at least her name is uh, Sarah in the book. I don't remember if that was her, her real name or not. But you, you talked about just how important it was for you to be, to be present, to honor her story and to acknowledge her pain. You didn't try to tell her, you didn't tell her what to do. You didn't try to fix it. You just like, sat there and listened. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most men, we have one hammer in our toolkit and that's it. And yeah. so when everyone comes at us with a challenge, man, we got that hammer ready to solve that problem. Right. Do you have a nail? No. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm going to hit it anyway. <laughs> your forehead looks like one, honey. So I'm going to start, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to start hitting your head with a hammer. Um, and again, it's not a it's not a matter of blame. We've got to be able to hear some of these critiques without blame and just let them sit over here in the middle of the table as data, right? Um, my wife tells me that her day was hard, that somebody was ugly to her. She doesn't need my info. She is smarter than me 10x, right? She was Dr. Deloney before I was. She's smart. She does not need me to go, well, tomorrow you need to go in there and you need to tell that boss if it – you need, you need to ask for a raise because you're n- number one. I would never have any of these conversations in my personal life because I'm a coward. Number two, she doesn't need my advice. She's she's just fine. You know what she needs? Somebody to be connected to. She needs someone just to listen and to say that sucks. David Kessler, who is the world's foremost expert on grief, I love the way he says this. He says grief demands witness. You cannot fully heal from grief without somebody hearing it. And that's why every major faith religion in history has some sort of confessional built into it, some sort of coming together of people. When life hurts, you have to be able to say that out loud. 
And yeah. we've told a generation or two or three or four of men that if you say it out loud, you're weak and we're going to move on without you. And you're a coward and you're a wimp and you just suck it up and be tough. And um, we've got to be able to have that conversation at the same time. When people around us are vulnerable, we have to shut our stupid mouths and just say, that sucks. I would, uh, there was a stretch in my career where it seemed like every story I did, every major interview was just soaked through completely with some tragedy. That's what I was writing about was the tragedy that happened in, in somebody's life and how they either, either overcome it, uh, overcame it uh, to the extent that they did, or they were still in the middle of it or whatever. And the two, two things that I found really interesting was that people would ask like, how do, how do you, how do you do those interviews? How do you ask those questions? And the first answer is, well, unless the person is willing to talk about it, you just don't, you know, that that's really up to the subject. Uh, And the fact that they are are allowing me into their lives kind of lets me ask, I don't want to say whatever question I want, but it does, it gives you permission as long as you ask it in a compassionate way to ask. Then the second uh, observation would be, even though that sucks is not a question, that was like the, the thing that I would say in the middle of the interview is, Gosh, that just, that sucks. Uh, And then the third thing is I had to stop doing that. Uh, I I did enough stories like that, that I kind of felt like it was squeezing me into powder. And I haven't, it's been a long time since I've done a story like that because I just got fried. I couldn't, I wasn't trained with how to unpack uh, sort of the emotional burden of retelling that story. And I just had to stop. And I think we, the, we could call you a wimp for that, or we could call you really, <laughs> Go ahead. We, we, no, we could call you really wise, right? Yeah. And there's a there's a, a profound wisdom there. And you yeah. you got in the pool and you told those stories and you helped millions of readers, and then you knew enough's enough. And we don't have a culture of enough. Like, hey, we're good, right? No, no, to your, like you were it's saying, like today, yeah. You you took a day off today. Good for you, man. Your body was telling you, hey, enough. Like, yeah. we're good. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like you were saying earlier where it was like, we, instead we want to look and go, see Ralph couldn't hack it. Yeah. yeah. But you, you know, and, and the funny thing is I, I'm, uh, instead now I'm writing about tough mutters where I'm the one taking the log to the head. Uh, and I'm not really sure what's, what's going on there. <laughs> so I don't want to point out the obvious Ralph, but maybe it's cause you took a log to the head that you, <laughs> it's, it's funny. We, they tease me a lot because I'm five foot nine. And so I'm one of the shorter guys. So I catch a lot of grief about that. If I was six, one or six, two, and that log hit me, I would have no teeth. So right. I'm, uh, I'm grateful. <laughs> one of the rare times that I'm grateful for being a little shrimp. There you go. <laughs> it's the silver lining. Yeah. Hey, you um, got the courage to get out there, man. That's awesome. So John, uh, we're kind of at the end of our, our time, but, um, when you, so the, the listeners here are, you know, it's, uh, guys like us, uh, the three of us, honestly, similar places in life. Um, you know, kind of, kind of figuring it out as we go, doing our best to be, uh, loving husbands, fathers, uh, doing our best uh, as F3 guys, we, we, we build in vulnerability, uh, into every workout, every workout. One of the core principles is that we end with a circle of trust, uh, and, Sometimes they're quiet and sometimes they're not. And you look across the circle at another man and you share what's on your heart. Uh, and in certain parts of the country, that uh, that prompts men to pray for you, uh, you know, if that's kind of their faith tradition. Um, in some parts of the country, that just that prompts men to say, hey, man, why don't we grab coffee and talk about this uh, later, you know, or whatever. Um, but that that it's it's sort of a built-in piece of, of what we do. 
Um, but I think that men, <laughs> you know, even I was talking to a buddy about it this morning after a, a tough workout and, and, uh, you know, we said, even the guys that are coming out and working out, uh, even the guys that show up all the time, some of us are still sad clowns. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from Ralph if he has kind of a final question as well, but, um, help, what, what, what would you tell guys? Like, what, what do you want us to know? What, what's the on mission message for, uh, you know, however many thousand guys are going to listen to this, uh, and go, you know what? I, I know I want to say what's on my heart, but I'm terrified. Yeah. So I, I, I can't, man, I cannot say this more concretely that any person listening to this is worth having a friend. They just are. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you said. I don't care what kind of idiot you are, what kind of idiot you will continue to be. You deserve to have people in your life. And it's hard. And so it means it's something you got to work at. You got, it's a friendship is a thing you do. It's not something that just magically descends upon you. Um, I think a challenge that the modern faith tradition here in, in the States, the Christian tradition has had is that in many ways we have over spiritualized Jesus and we have turned him into a, almost a, uh, we just over spiritualized him. So when you look at, you know, if you look at scripture, it's easy to search that thing and comb through for the rules. And I call those little T truths. What are the rules? What's the things I got to do to get some kind of outcome? What we don't often do is step back and look at the human part. And so there is no rule that says thou shall, when undergoing something hard, get a group of 10 to 12 dudes around you because you're going to need them. Thou shall not find moments when you're quiet and get on your face and cry in front of your dad and cry in front of your buddies. Thou shall not, I mean, thou shall have a group of guys that you can make fun of. that are going to ask you hard questions. and don't get what you're talking about. But so if you step back and look at that faith story as through a human lens, man, if the guy saying he's the son of God shows up and has to get a group of guys to walk through life with him, who, who am I? Right. Who am I? <laughs> Right. If um, the day before the big event, right, the day before this big crucifixion event, he gets on his face and says, hey, dad, do we have to do it like this? Because I don't want to do it like this. Man, then who am I to be worried about doubting or frustration or wondering what's going on in the world? Right. It just humanizes it all for us. So at the same time, we all have value. Dude, we're not we're not snowflakes. We're not that special. We're all struggling. We all need connection. We all got to do it. And we know this. If you don't, you will probably die sooner than your neighbor. You'll die of some horrific heart attack or stroke or some cancer. The data is super clear, right? Loneliness yeah. is more dangerous for you than smoking. At this point, moving forward, you have a decision to make. Like, Are you going to choose to be there for your family? Are you going to choose to live a, li- a whole life that is filled with laughter and joy and sadness and tears? that you share with other people, are you going to die young chasing some ghost that you're never going to be able to get your hands around? Damn. Men, uh, Dr. John Deloney, I uh, can't thank you enough for being with us, brother. Tell us where to get your book. Um, go to johndeloney.com and you can get it right there. There's a big, uh, I'm learning all about the internet. So you can push, there's a big red button and you just says, buy it. You can click on that. <laughs> I'm learning all about the internet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
so we, we've heard about the the radio show and, and the podcast and your your friends' opinions of those. Now, do they do they recommend the book? Like, what what what, what do people? No, most of my old friends and they can't read, and so they, I mean, they, <laughs> they're more of the audiobook type. But yeah, um, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah, have pictures, though, right? It, yeah, there's no there's only pictures on the cover. It's a weird thing for them, but right. Uh, yeah, no, well. they'll they're yeah. I can't wait till they text me on the back of that that. No, this is awesome. I'm uh... yeah. They, you can you can get it, and um, I mean, it's it, we had a really not really a great not not that had a low expectation for it. We were proud of it when we sent it out, but um, no way it, it it succeeded our wildest expectations four or five fold. Um, it's just resonated. I think yeah. coming from academics, when I looked at this little book, it's really really thin. It's, what, it's eighty pages or something. It's really thin and it's really simple. And the font is intentionally big, right? And coming from higher ed, I'm used to these 300-page science books where oh, yeah. we're it's all like fighting and arguing. Font. And what's really, man, it's it's been compelling to hear folks say, "I couldn't get I, those books. Don't make sense to me. I don't know what they're talking about." Instagram and YouTube is full of just drivel, and this book was so clear and mm-hmm. to the point, and it it helped me in a way, or helped my wife in a way, helped my kid in a way that man none of us expected at this scale so it's been good man it's 10 bucks it's cheap it's easy it's good yeah no thank you again john deloney.com uh and uh grab a grab a copy of uh the book and um man i just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed talking with you today brother i appreciate you guys and man i i i love the mission of f3 it sounds incredible and i'll i'll make a my trip down to nashville out of the woods out of my home gym <laughs> down there and we'll get one in dude that'll be fun well, I'm going to stay in touch with you uh, if it uh, if that's all right with you, and we're gonna um, we'll figure out when that is, and maybe I'll maybe I'll just poke over there and join you, uh, and we'll see how we can. We, we can do that. I'll tell stuff. you this: working out by yourself in your garage, I'm pretty incredible. So being around other men, it's going to be a. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Let me know. I'm probably not that great. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'll text you after, and we'll be like your home gym. Yeah. That's right, John. Your workout sucks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, brother. Hey guys, y'all take care. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there 43 feet at a time.